listeners. Welcome back once again to Lost in Postulation. I'm Neil Fitzpatrick and I'm joining me once again. He's the original grumpy old man turned reluctant father figure. It's Nicola Volpe. Turning reluctant. If I, well, no, th- Not leave reluctant. the reluctant out of it. Exactly. No, 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 no. You're going to get me in trouble here. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I am the grumpy old man. Turning father figure. Turning father figure. Right? Love and, that. Uh, and not, not reluctant. Good save. Good save. For the time being. For the confused listeners, we're talking, of course, about one of the uh, many cliche characters from our last episode. Please go back and listen if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Episode 18 was a banger, as usual. As usual. All bangers. Non-stop yeah. bangers. Yeah. Like uh, Kendall's birthday party. Yeah. Yes. That's a deep cut as well. And uh, while we're here, uh, listeners, of course, this is our 19th episode, 19 recordings. That's more than 19 hours. It's probably close to 20 hours of content out there now. You can go back, listen to everything we've done. We've done a bunch of cool things around pop country, uh, pop culture, country tier lists, which Mm -hmm, we'll get mm -hmm. more into today. We've done stuff around pop culture and sports anything else you want to give a shout out to neil i've always been a big fan of the intensely deep researched deep dives that we've done mm-hmm. so a little bit from like episode one or a bit from the moon landing that we had in uh, a few episodes ago yes. like for me those have been one of the most fun to both research and then do and you know even hear the reactions on so uh yeah yeah there's some good stuff out there exactly and as usual we also want to hear your postulations we want you to help us create content and keep it going you can reach us at lostinpostulation at gmail.com or you can tweet at us where neil at impostulation see i was ready this time yes there you go at impostulation on twitter loving it and uh as we uh introduced last time thanks to neil's great unaligned initiative Mm mm-hmm you can now recruit a postulator. Yeah, I wonder, did anyone, was anyone confused by what I meant there? All I was basically saying... I was. Okay, well, all I really meant was, look, you guys know better than anybody who will enjoy this episode or who will enjoy this podcast. Mm. And at this early stage, this high growth uh, early stage of the podcast, what we need is new pairs of ears. It's not enough just to keep the same listeners as before. We need to keep finding new ears. And I think our listeners know better than anybody who else might enjoy it. Absolutely. So that was more what I was getting at on the recruiter postulator. So to be clear, it's not an employment opportunity. We're not going to be actually hiring any postulators. No salaries. No salaries, just to be clear. The idea is, of course, if you know anybody who you think actually might like the podcast, please do send it on. Like we, uh, we would love a bit of uh, organic uh, word of mouth here. Absolutely. And while we're speaking about word of mouth, Neil, we always mm. like to kick off with a mundane postulation. Yeah. I have something prepared for you. All our loyal listeners know what a huge fan you are of eggs, in particular yeah. the scrambled variety, okay. which you also enlightened us on a on a great recipe. You guys can go back and listen to, to that episode where yeah, we talk about eggs. Yeah. But if we zoom out a second... Are you more of a sweet or savory breakfast person on balance? Oh, well, okay. What? Just to make sure I answer correctly, a sweet breakfast that includes things like pancakes with Nutella or like jam or stuff mm, like that. Mm. Is there anything else? A sweet, I guess, like fruits. Salad well, and you know, yeah. like cereal, I would yeah. count as a sweet rather oh. than a savory. Right? Well, hold on. What if it's like Weetabix? Because Weetabix is very savory. Uh, <laughs> If the savory as it gets, it's really right. wheat. <laughs> well, yes, that's that's one of the borderlines, right? Okay, but if you're okay. having like, let's say, honey nut Cheerios, or if you're uh, having a bowl sweet. of that's a sweet. bowl of muesli with Oof. strawberries and bananas with and whatever, okay, that's uh, that's sweet. Right. Now, like, 
But can I just give a quick shout out to Crunchy Nut Cornflakes as a product? Go ahead. Because it's a great sponsor of the podcast. I, yeah, they don't. They haven't paid me anything. All I wanted to say was, what a product! Just what an absolute banger of a product. What did you call this? Crunchy. Uh, it's called different things in different. Exactly. Lines. In Ireland, they're called Crunchy Nut Cornflakes. Okay. What they essentially are are cornflakes, but amplified with the benefit of both sugar and nuts and okay. the sugar in the form of honey so it's like an absolute banger okay to start with and then you pour some milk on there and it just so it's frosted flakes with nuts um, and they have the sugar yeah so not and the the, those are called frosties in ireland by the way frosted, frosted. Flakes. with, with any the tony the tiger yeah, right yeah, yeah, just, exactly okay. exactly, yeah. exactly now the thing is frosties to me are a different thing because they're more like sugar like white sugar pure yeah whereas crunchy nut cornflakes or honey nut cornflakes as they might be called somewhere else are more like a sticky uh, honey like consistency on the outside mm-hmm. of them anyway you can't eat them every day because you will both lose all your teeth and probably gain hundreds and hundreds of kilos by the time you're done and have a terrible diet and feel terrible so don't eat it every day but just once in a while get a box and they're, they're pretty expensive as well but just once in a while go back to crunching out cornflakes listener they are amazing all of that said now crunching out cornflakes listeners write oh, that down crunchy nut just to be crunchy clear. nut yeah so not crunching oat yeah you gotta you gotta <laughs> decipher the irish accent listener it's it's a challenge uh the main thing i wanted to say though is no i am a three weedabix a day person that is all i have so that's three Weetabixes. And if you don't know what those are, they need a quick Google. Are no, Australian? I know yeah. Okay. Are Australian I had them actually listeners. in Australia for the first time. Uh, you yeah. see, in Australia, they're called yeah. Weetabix or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. which I'm not, I'm not down yeah. with. Even though that's where they originate. I did, I did that much research. But three Weetabixes with a bit of milk on top. That's all I need from Monday to Friday. And then, of course, on the weekend, it's... It's egg time, uh, as many people. Uh, uh, so three Weetabix, but three at the same time. Yeah, three it's in a bowl. It's not like three times a day. You you can line them up um, on their edge, and they fit all in one bowl. In a bowl. Okay. And then you get the milk over all three, and then you kind of have to chop them a bit with the spoon, get it all into one consistency. But then you're good to go. And you don't get hungry. Like, these things are basically pure fiber. So mm. keeps you regular, first and foremost. And just doesn't keeps you hungry, or stops you from being hungry, keeps you full up until whenever you're ready. Okay. So you, you don't have this thing of getting hungry already at like 10 and you have to grab a, you know, a banana or something. You know? And how much milk are you putting over this? A pretty decent amount, I would say. I think to the between 100 and 200 mils because I get it takes me about mm, a week wow. to get through a liter. Yeah. Okay. So quite a lot. But in uh, milk or what are we talking? We are talking whatever I pull out from the. Yeah, I'm not too picky, actually. Sometimes I go full fat. Sometimes. Oh, I'm, wow. Good, yeah, good yeah. for you. You yeah. know what? Yeah. Give me that. You Harkening know? back to being a 13-year-old. If anyone ever judges me, I just say I'm bulking, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's all the muscle mass. I need the protein, you know. Absolutely. Jeez, I, That's uh, the beauty of the podcast is the listeners don't know what you look like. Exactly. So, well, some of them do, I imagine. Well, they've, they've probably Googled, but yeah. uh, not much to be found, I think, right now. But throwing the question back at you, sir. Yes. What's your answer? My answer, what I will have is a bowl of crunchy granola muesli yeah, mix, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's oats, but there's I like I like having some crunch. There's almonds in there, there's raisins in there. Yeah. My wife, she would have the same, but she picks out every individual raisin. It's it's mm. crazy. Uh, I'm a big okay. raisin fan, so I well, leave them in there. You get all the raisins then. She I get all the raisins. You, she gives I you get her raisins. more than my fair share of raisins. Wow. Then I chop up a banana into it. Mm-hmm. And I chop up half an apple into it. Oh, jeez. Okay. The reason it's half an apple is because a whole apple doesn't fit into that bowl yeah, anymore. Yeah. And then I take a big cereal spoon and mm. I scoop out some PB, yeah. peanut butter, the crunchy variety. Okay. Okay. We like the texture. Yeah. And then I go in for my milk. 
So a skim oh, milk well. or no. an almond milk and just, well, yeah, because you yeah, need yeah, to yeah. make it a bit wet or I else suppose, you're just, yeah, it's going to be horrible, especially yeah. with the PB. It's yeah. just a mess. Yeah. And I just pour a little bit on there, but probably even Jesus 50 ml, like, this is like a lot a, less than you, but yeah, just to give yeah. it something, mix it all together. And now that's a breakfast that can even get mm. you to dinner time almost. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of if you ever go to, um, the that grill uh place guy that's a hard word to yeah, say of course yeah. one of their big specialties is like peanut butter apple uh yeah exactly so, I, so yeah. you're not like a million miles off to me this sounds like a lot of food but then again you do a lot of stuff right yeah you, you you're I'm, running I'm on the move you yeah know. you're running yeah. a lot of, like mm. you're running probably tens of kilometers a day right so mm. uh i don't do that so th- therefore i probably don't need to eat as much um so it makes sense it sounds like a lot of work it's a lot of time that goes into that. It, it is like a solid, like, you know, maybe 10 minutes of prep, a bit less. Okay, let's That's say heavy. seven minutes of prep, but you yeah. have a podcast on in the background. You're yeah. getting your morning news you or listening it. to Lost in Postulation. And- yeah. Repeat episodes, got to get those numbers up. <laughs> but uh, I know I, I shouldn't talk because I spend about 10 minutes on my coffee every day. So like, of course, who am I to judge? But the pour over. Oh, so good. But uh, that's for a future postulation, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But it sounds like... At least Monday through Friday, we're both on that sweet breakfast. What I would categorize as a, I I'm I a struggle. Cold breakfast. I'm str- yeah, at least cold for sure. Right, cold for sure. Uh, I still struggle with the sweet and savory thing because honestly, like eat a Weetabix and try yeah. tell, tell me that's sweet, right? I know that the milk is technically kind of sweet as well. That's but like, sweet and has some sugar right? in it, right? Yeah, it's a tricky one. But what would a savory then be? Just like bread. Well, savory like, would be eggs or bread with cheese uh, and, yeah, and butter and all these things, um, which you seem yeah. to be having on the weekend. On the weekend, because you have oh, more yeah. time, I assume. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I really take more time with it. Yeah. You know, it's part of a, a meditative process. I think I'm just realizing I'm not very good at this sweet or savory um, distinction. No, <laughs> but neither a, am I, because you've yeah. raised so many doubts in my head now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when you said sweet at the start, I was thinking, oh, desserts or something. You know, And of course, I'm thinking cakes, ice cream, that well, kind of stuff. That's, I used to breakfast with... Yeah cakes and cookies that's and Nutella. Italian, no? yeah exactly biscuits and, and stuff, uh, when i had the metabolism still now like yeah, yeah. can't get away straight, with it straight to the hips but yeah. yeah if if i still was you know 13 14 i would mm. have my toast with nutella spread out over it yeah. big glass of milk i also don't have much milk anymore because i can't really tolerate it in the same yeah. way i used to yeah. a lot of people struggle with milk actually i yeah. know like uh, all the substitution products are growing like crazy right now huge also in the coffee world uh like oat milk is absolutely yeah beasting it for cappuccinos because apparently it's better than milk for uh yeah, yeah. For especially art. with a cappuccino which has so many calories and so much energy you yeah. can really cut down on it oh, with yeah. the oat milk. but you're having eggs on the weekend so 100 scrambled Man, every time so like we would buy 20 eggs a week and we get through it. And that's both, yeah. So that's both through. When I'm making a yeah. face. I mean, making a serious face. I'm well, having to explain myself. Eggs? Yeah, a week. Because we're doing, say, five a day on the weekend. So that's 10, right? Then eggs are amazing for loads of stuff. You can use eggs for cocktails. You can use egg whites. You can use yolks for certain okay. uh, yeah. for certain things. You can use eggs for fried rice. So you can, wow. uh, yeah, you can you can bulk well, yeah. up a meal. You can fry an egg and put it on top of a stir fry, and it's like a you know. So yeah, yeah. you will you at add least, the protein in, which keeps yeah. your blood sugar in check. So if that's, you've got leftovers yeah. and you're like, ah, it's not quite enough, mm, fry an egg, yeah. throw it on top. So like my thing is with eggs, you 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 can never have too many. You'll always find a use for them. Keep your eggs in the fridge; they'll come in handy. Yeah, and actually, that's a whole other postulation. Uh, there's a there's two schools of thought on where you should keep eggs, and the science is kind of uh, mixed oh. on it. Like half of the half of the scientific community has said you have to keep them out of the fridge because that's you know they're designed 
quote unquote, to be stored in ambient temperatures, etc. And then the other half of people say, no, no, fridge all the way because you risk contamination, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But uh, the jury is out, actually. So, but when uh, I'm at the supermarket... They are in the fridge. They are in the course. fridge. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you've heard it. Uh, I've heard it well, said every which way. Yeah. But at the local, uh, you know, corner shop in the Tuscan countryside, straight from the farmer, come to think of it, they're not in a fridge. There yeah. is no fridge. They so. never will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Huh. I think they're I think they're edible regardless. But, right. you know, maybe we should, for food safety reasons, not recommend anything to the listeners. No. So just follow your usual uh, routine listener. Don't yeah. do anything because of us. Don't risk salmonella and do not yeah. sue us for it. That's, yeah, that's my main yeah. point. It's like, just keep doing whatever you're doing and definitely don't change your behavior because of what you're hearing here absolutely and then the the time that i do go for the savory breakfast Mm. like full-on savory is either being out for a brunch or staying at a hotel where there's like a breakfast Mm. buffet and Mm. then i i eat my body weight yeah and it's it's unhelpful sometimes because you can you end up ruining your day like you do i think especially with those hotel buffets it takes so little time for you to eat so much before you even notice you're full yes and then you're just like oh no i'm gonna have to be rolled out of here like this is <laughs> this is my whole morning ruin you know i've done it many a time uh business travel being yeah what it is but yes. we survive we survive we power through we power through and listeners after the break we have a treat lined up for you it is the continuation of our pop culture country tier list with a country we both love Welcome back, listeners. We're here. We are continuing our pop culture country tier list with a new country today. Before we get to that, you know, a little intro uh, to the concept for those that haven't joined us for the previous episodes. What we do is we evaluate different countries on their pop culture contributions, success, and, you know, where we really rank them on the pantheon. Our goal is to do every country on earth. Yeah, yeah. We're well on well on track. Well on it. track. Yeah, yeah, we've done two so far. We've started with Sweden and then moved yeah. to Japan. Out of a total of thirty points, Sweden scored a very respectable nineteen point five, and Japan edged it out by three points on a twenty two point five. So that's where we stand at the moment. Yeah, I think we're off to a great start, and I'm very excited to bring our third country into the mix. Absolutely, and our third country today is Neil. Bienvenido a México. Gracias. Oh, look at you. There we go. Taking out the old Spanish from school. That's all I got. So, Mexico. uh, We're going to introduce Mexico now with our usual way of introducing to the tune of the Mexican National Anthem and courtesy of our sponsor, Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Neil, are you ready? Always. Mexico. Mexico. Officially, the United Mexican States is a country in the southern portion of North America. It is bordered to the north by the United States, to the south and west by the Pacific Ocean, to the southeast by Guatemala, Belize, and the Caribbean Sea, and to the east by the Gulf of Mexico. Mexico covers 1,972,550 square kilometers. That's 761,610 square miles, making it the world's 13th largest country by area with a population of over 126 million it is the 10th most populous country and has the most spanish speakers in the world 
Mexico is organized as a federal republic comprising 31 states and Mexico City its capital. Other major urban areas include Monterrey, Guadalajara, Puebla, Toluca, Tijuana, Ciudad Juarez, and León. Welcome to Mexico. Wow. Do you speak Spanish, actually? I, think I do, actually. Yeah. Fluent or...? Yeah, fluent. Dang. It's my yeah. second and a half best language. Okay. Yeah. Second and a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So before before Danish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I thought either you speak Spanish or you're really good at doing the impression of how, you, you know, to guess how you might say those words. Yeah. So uh, well done. Yeah, but Mexico, it's a place that I love. I've been there multiple times, especially when I was in the U.S. And... Uh, just love their culture. Puts a smile to my face every time I think of Mexico. Absolutely. I'm in the somewhat unique position here. This is the first country on our country tier list that I haven't actually been to. That's a cool dynamic. To yeah, I think so. Because it'll be a lot of me asking stuff and you answering it probably. But I think the point here, listener, and what we what we really need to get across is that this isn't supposed to be an objective ranking. Quite the opposite. This is actually an extremely subjective ranking based on specifically our experiences with the country, right? So previously, when we've talked about Sweden and Japan, you know, we've both been there multiple times in some cases. So we we knew a lot about them. This is probably an interesting one where I'm going to be shooting from the hip even more than usual and uh, probably relying on your support, Nicola, as we, as we go through. We'll try our best. And the other key here, listeners, is that these are, regardless of, how many times we've been to a place or not. These are, for the most part, outsider views. And the view is to get a gauge on their contributions to pop culture, their influence outside of their immediate sphere as a country. Exactly, exactly. Because easily, almost every country in the world, you can say, oh, well, of course they have music in their own country. I mean, right. And of course they do. The point here is to find what, which countries have had the biggest global impact that we couldn't imagine a world without them, in fact. That's what we're here to do. That's exactly what we're here to do. And we're going to kick it off in Mexico, Neil, with our first category, film and TV. So overall, if we if we take a top line view, Mexican film, they've won the Pando in Cannes twice, and they've won one best foreign picture to Roma recently, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, the Netflix picture. And the best place to kind of start delving into Mexican film this day and age is to talk about Mexican directors mm. who have taken Hollywood by storm. Seems to be that's their strongest suit, actually. Mm-hmm. When even within the realm of film and TV, not so big on actors, not so big on uh, writers, even more. It's it's very much the directors who are uh, first and foremost here. It seems that way. And we have the, let's call them the Troika of Mexican directors, Alfonso Cuaron, Alejandro Iñarritu. And Guillermo del Toro. Any Powerful. favorites from this bunch? Of those three, I'm actually leaning Alejandro Inarito. Mm. I think he's uh, extremely strong, purely based on my experience of Birdman. Because I haven't actually watched The Revenant, uh, let alone the other films. Not missing out on too much. Yeah, it no. just seems like a trek. It just seems like a lot. it's going to be a lot, an ordeal for me to so watch it. And I'm like, I'm yeah. sure it's great, but it's just like, I just don't want to you know, slog through, mm. uh, but loved Birdman. One of the few people I feel who object, who just, you know, universally loved it. Like a lot of people came away feeling like it was a bit too pretentious or a bit too kind of like me. Up yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Up itself. But I absolutely loved it. Go back and watch it regularly. Just think it's awesome. So Inaritu is, uh, is my guy. Good. Cuaron. 
we can get on to unless yeah. you have any Inarritu. Yeah, and films. on Inarritu, for those that don't know, his films have been nominated for a grand total of 34 Oscars and they've taken home eight of them. So it's yeah, it's which quite is strong. a little low. Like for that number of nominations, you'd kind of want to see more. But then again, we know Hollywood is quite biased against the old international uh, directors. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But also there within Yaratu, I mean, like huge range, right? And then Alfonso Cuaron has had 11 Oscar nominations, four wins. And that range there, we're talking everything from Harry Potter 3, Prisoner of Azkaban, Children of Men with your favorite potential Bond, Clive Owen, mm-hmm. Roma, and Gravity, right? These are like four of the of the highlights. Absolutely. Huge range. And if I may, the best Harry Potter movie. Ooh, that's... I don't I don't remember, mm. to be honest. I think it's, um, it's well worth a rewatch. There's some interesting time travel dynamics there for Hermione, if I'm remembering right. Okay. She uses the time yeah. turner in this one. It's uh, extremely well made, actually. Okay. So yeah, after a kind of a dodgy Chris Columbus uh, number one and number two for Harry Potter, I think, it, uh, it really hit its stride number three, thanks to our boy, Alfonso. Alfonso Cuaron. Did you see Children of Men? I've been meaning to for so long mm. because I'm such a Clive Owen fan. Yeah. Loved him in Inside And Man. you're an apocalypse guy. I'm an apocalypse guy. Yeah. I enjoy an apocalypse. I, yeah. I, I would label you as that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people do. It's yeah. a bit, yeah, a little bit uh, concerning, actually. So, Children of Men, love the premise, love the idea, like, need to watch it. One of those films where if I wanted to go watch it, I would struggle to think of where I would find it. Maybe it's on a streaming service of some kind. I think, yes, actually, I think it's on HBO Max. That's okay. where I watched it last because it is a Warner Brothers. So, uh, yeah. And speaking of uh, these films, the Quaron films, I'm recently just coming out of my moon landing um, kick yes, that, I, that I fell down a few episodes ago. So I'm still on the old moon, um, the moon topic. Mm. And I do think gravity would be, I know it's not, they're not landing on the moon, but I do think gravity is something I should probably go and watch now. I've heard it's good. I know it's yeah. probably a little bit Hollywood, a little bit kind of uh, simple, but I think, I'll, I think I'll go watch that. I think you should go for it, definitely. Yeah. So Alfonso Cuaron. And then we have the last of the three, last but mm. not least, and that is... Guillermo del Toro. Now, what I I have some thoughts, right? But mm. interested to hear first of all your kind of unfiltered opinion here. Eight out of twenty-five Oscars. So again, very strong showing. That's a good hit rate. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan. You mm. know, all mm. the 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 Pinocchios, the Pacific Rims, etc. is it, not really in my swing zone mm. uh, in terms of the the types of films, right? So yeah, this is where I was going to go with that as well because. He's a name, it's like a household name almost as a director. Like everyone's heard of Guillermo yeah, del Toro. And, and Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth. You know, he has exactly. some, some bangers, right? But then when you look at the list, you're like, well, actually, like, what do we have here? I've, I've spoken, I'm on the record on this podcast of saying that I don't like his Pinocchio. I think it's one of the more annoying films I've seen, actually, in the last number of years. With your favorite actor, Christoph Waltz. Even despite my favorite actor being there, I think it was... Uh, it was a miss as films go. Some great artwork. I mean, it's it's fully stop motion animated to an amazing extent. Mm-hmm. And I think it was nominated if, if it didn't win the animated Oscar. But in any case, um, it's impressive. Technically, I just hated it as a as a film, which I think I have to put down to uh, to Guillermo. And then he he's also responsible, if I may, for Pacific Rim, which, mm. sorry, like, I mean, a cool, bombastic idea, heavily inspired by our, fa- our favorite uh, Japan, right? That it's it's all about these uh, massive monsters fighting each other versus robots. But it's just very simple and, like, has Idris Elba in a very uh, underutilized position in that. Absolutely. Like, just a kind of a dumb movie. And 
it's one of those films that I, I walked in thinking, okay, it's uh, monsters fighting robots. And I walked out being like, yeah, I guess the monsters fought the robots. Like it, it, it hasn't, it left no impression on me at all, yeah. you know? No. So I actually, I'm, I might be slain for saying this, but actually Guillermo del Toro, I'm like not hugely hyped on. No. And like you said, the name is huge. It's wonderful to say in prepping the episode, I thought I'd get a lot more for Guillermo. Mm. And then I looked him up and I remembered I didn't really like any of those movies, including his, one of his most recent Oscar winners, Shape of Water. Mm, oh, that was one yeah. of the biggest steals at the Oscars. Exactly. Right? I think that's one of those recent examples, like The Artist, you know, where it got super hyped up. We were all talking about it actually for a while. But like, have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yet? And the trailer looked cool. <laughs> but then actually, at the end of the day, it was like fine. It was just a, a movie yeah. that came and went. And yeah. yeah. And we don't want to tear the Oscars apart too much, but that was a back to back. Moonlight and Shape of Water winning Best Picture. We've done an entire episode on yeah. the Oscars listeners that you can go back to. I think that was episode 13. Yeah, they're probably sick of yeah. us talking about the Oscars at this probably, point. Probably, yeah. and of you yeah. about the artist. Yeah, that, I swear that's the last time. I go through phases, listener, just for the new listeners. Like, I, I do two or three episodes in a row where I bring up the same thing, and then I, I forget. So that was my that was my last artist reference, let's say. And uh, Let's call it there. It's vanished forever. And while we're there on film in Mexico... One thing that really came to my mind that I wanted to also check in on with you is that Mexico is portrayed in so many, many films. That's a much longer list, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's part of the pop culture credentials, right? It's portrayed not always in the best light, which Mm -hmm. there's a whole discussion to be had on that, but if I just list, you know, Sicario, James Bond, Spectre, Mm -hmm. Narcos Mexico, Dallas Buyers Club, right? Like, and these are just some, right? Oh, the list is endless. Yeah. Like I, I did a, in the prep for this, I just Googled films set in Mexico. Mm. And I gave up because I was like, this is hundreds of films. Right. Like, this is literally so many. It's an incredibly popular destination, not only to visit, but also for us to visit cinematically, right? right. So it's, it's extremely popular in that sense. And my biggest exposure has probably been Breaking Bad, actually. So unfortunately, mm. my, my impression, my cinematic impression of Mexico has been very much tainted by the world of Breaking Bad. Also, From New Mexico. Ah, yeah, yeah, both New Mexico and then oh, south yeah, of the border. They, yeah, yeah. Whenever they go to actual Mexico, the color grain gets turned all the way orange. So mm, it's like a very, yeah. it's a kind of a, it's almost becoming a trope now, actually, that anytime a show goes to Mexico, the color grain gets turned way up the yellow. Right. And you lose all blues, you know, in, right. the, in the color balance. But I guess it's it's to portray a different world. But in any case, I think, and also with things like Narcos, the, the portrayals that we see are unfortunately a little bit colored by some of the the characters and topics that Mexico is known for, but still lovely, looks absolutely amazing on film and I can see why things are set there. So you can argue that's that's an influence, right? Like that's, uh, that's impactful. Absolutely, I would say so. And then we have, when we talk about actors and actresses, there's of course like entire generations now of Mexican-American actors mm, and actresses, mm. right? Like even if you, if you just take actors, Michael Pena, for example. Yeah, fantastic like, right that was one who i i googled as well like mexican actors and he came up and i was like wait really no wait no born and, in the u.s yeah, right exactly yeah. and there's many of those right so you can also you can extrapolate a bit like hey okay if if there was no mexico we wouldn't have people like that and blah blah, blah. but remember like we've talked about how this is not about ranking the expatriate community right you know it's or or by people who have maybe descended from these countries it has to be fully born and bred or at least like heavily uh, raise or spend a lot of time in that country when they're growing up, right? So when you do that, and then you you search online for that criteria, then the list actually gets very very short yeah. for for world B 
big name actors. And uh, we end up with Salma Hayek. Yeah. That's actually it. Yeah. Because every other name is like from, it's, it's a black and white picture because they're from the 50s or 60s. Right, right. I don't know what's happening here. And I, I don't know, is it, is it because like the film industry isn't actually that big in Mexico or something? But like, there are just no big names. All of those famous Hispanic or Latinx mm. actors and actresses who we know, n- they, none of them come from Mexico, actually. It was really strange. Yeah. I, was, I was shocked. Like, this I, was, I was also. One of my biggest surprises, I was, when we were agreeing on Mexico, I was like, oh yeah, and there's all those actors. And then I looked into it and I was like, no, there, there really isn't. Yeah. Now, Selma Hayek, very good. I thought she was great, actually, in even bad films. Like, she's been in uh, Eternals. She mm-hmm. had one of yeah. the better roles in that, yeah. in, which is an otherwise not great film. She played but, uh, Frida Kahlo. Oh, yeah. yeah maybe yeah, awesome. about 20 years ago or something. Which is right? huge, right? Yeah. Because, and we don't have a category for artists, actually, yeah. but I suppose Frida Kahlo deserves a shout out no matter what. But uh, yeah, on the actress front, as we said, unless you include Michael Pena, which I'm like... No, yeah, no, you can't. Because yeah, if you go down yeah. Michael Pena, then you have, you know, he's maybe already second generation. So exactly. I think... Um, the. The issue maybe is what Hollywood does and and what TV does is it has the Mexican-American actors and pigeonholes them Mm. to consistently play Mexicans, right? And that's where these lines get a bit blurred that you could easily Mm. think, oh, Michael Peña, he's from Mexico. Yeah, and also kind of similar to that point, Mexican characters are often caricatures when they're portrayed in American media. Absolutely. They're all following the same tropes that we've seen time and time again. Yeah. Speaking with the same exaggerated accent where it's like unfortunately like many other nationalities in hollywood are portrayed with a little bit of a comic bent or a little bit of a you know a, an unsympathetic portrayal yeah. let's say so i do think as well that takes away a little bit from how how an audience how willing an audience is to take a mexican character seriously in a in a hollywood blockbuster yeah sadly yeah absolutely so that's where, where we can round it on film and tv and yeah. what score are you thinking in terms of this uh, i think i've always had to come back to our mantra on this which is we have to be fair but harsh yeah right? absolutely we're not here to make friends this is not a diplomatic exercise <laughs> we are here to rank these bad boys as fairly as we can so on that basis film and tv mexico i'm gonna give a light three a light three three being somewhat significant in terms of uniqueness and success and that's purely based on the directors we, we mentioned yeah yeah so the directors are the drivers here um I'm going to go significant in terms of uniqueness or success at two because mm. there's plenty of other countries that can name three power directors. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. but I, yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to be swayed. Let's, let's keep it like this. So we have a two and a three, right? Yeah. So I'm and, waiting. And keeping in mind that these yeah. guys have also gone off and gone very Hollywood with their films mm-hmm. and done them in English and not in original language nowadays so it's not like we're consuming mexican media being like wow it's so mexican it's quite the opposite actually yeah yeah that's fair to a limit although roma is set in mexico i think the movie yeah and and roma in spanish yeah yeah okay so there's there's some examples but i see your point which is like are they are we are, are yeah is the world hungry for mexican cinema or are we praising Mexican directors who have happened to direct very western stuff right who happen to be mexican right so A three from you, a two from me, averages out to a 2.5 on our first category, film and TV. That is maths. We've gotten a few of those wrong in the past episode. Oh, yeah, you'd be surprised, yeah. But okay, I think that's fair, and and we're off to a good start. Great. Where would you like to travel next? Which category? Mm. We have, for the listener who's uninitiated, we have also music, literature, cuisine, and sport. 
I think let's have a go on sport, actually. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. A lot to say here about Mexican sport, which actually started very much before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So in the pre-Columbian era, the Mesoamericans, the Mayans, the Aztecs were already playing a ball game which represented volleyball or racquetball played against the wall. 100%. That's impressive. And actually, any time the Mayans or the Aztecs come up in any of this discussion, you got to kind of pour some out, right? Because that's really one of the big influences and things like architecture technology Mm. science art like that's where mexico has had historically insane impact not always seen not always not always obvious Mm. and then never none less so than sport here like where for sure they've been instrumental in in defining some of the sports we now play today two of the most advanced civilizations uh, of their times together with with the incas lower down in the andes exactly exactly amazing stuff so volleyball racquetball i think uh if you, if you want to give them the credit for it, then that's pretty huge, no? I think we could. That, then it would be, absolutely. Yeah. No and I think there could be a line point. drawn there, absolutely. So I, I think they're off to a good start on I'd that, say on that so. front. Nowadays, of course, Mexicans are consumed with football, mm. right? Mm. They love it. Like, it is a football-mad country. It is also being such a big country and being football-mad creates mm. fantastic atmospheres in the stadium. They've hosted two World Cups. They might be the most football-mad country. I'm mm. going to go out on a limb and say that, how yeah. much they love it. Close to the Argentinians, but, you know. Um, they galvanize global audiences every four years when they play in a World Cup. To yeah. the point where this last World Cup in Qatar, uh, well, my brother and I, we support Italy, uh, mm. of course, which didn't qualify. Yeah. And uh, we were thinking, oh, who are you going for? You know, And, of course, my, my wife is Danish, so I said, yeah, you know, a, a bit Denmark, whatever. Mm. And my brother said, oh, I'm supporting Mexico. And I didn't even for a moment question him and say, why are you supporting Mexico? Mm. Like, what's that about? Yeah. It was more like, I get it. Why yeah. not? Scrappy underdogs on the world stage. Yeah. yeah, love it. And just great vibes all around. They're belting out their anthem. They're bringing their fans everywhere. Mm. They've had great players. They won a gold medal in 2012. But they remain perennial underachievers. Yeah. It's a shame because the the point that sticks with me here as from the very top of this episode is when you mention their population, where they're one of the most populous countries in the world. The 10th most. Yeah. So they should be punching like way higher than they are currently yeah. on the world stage. They should be winning global competitions like that, you know? Absolutely. If you go purely based on population, right? Population and it's a country that really invests a lot in yeah. this sport. And it's huge. Like it's not like nobody cares about football there. Like they should be smashing the World Cup every time, right? I so think they should be not, one of the top countries. Yeah. yeah. So not to be overly harsh or anything, but like if Iceland, a country of what four hundred thousand people, can yeah even less can right? kick yeah. ass at the World Cup, then I think Mexico should be doing pretty well too. Yeah. So that that one I'm with you. It's a little bit disappointing, almost. Yeah, it is. It is. So still football mad, and then did you know that? Mexico has had 200 boxing world champions across the weight categories, which is the second of all time after the United States. I did not know that. And I can't even name a Mexican boxer, I don't think. Maybe now you know Canelo Alvarez. Is he Mexican? Yeah, he's Ah, Mexican. Okay. And he's, you know, pound for pound, I think, considered the best fighter in the world at the moment. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Better than Mayweather? I know what Mayweather doesn't fight right now. Yeah. But, well, in, so, in activity at uh, the moment. Okay, okay. And, and, you know, they do pound for pound because, of course, a yeah. heavyweight guy would always knock out, you know, yeah, a yeah, featherweight. Yeah. Right? So it's like so. versus the competi- versus right. their competition. Exactly. Okay, well, that's pretty huge. Yeah. 
He's he's like the biggest name in boxing, right? He's yeah. He gets all the big uh, deals uh, with uh, with the Zone and ESPN, whatever to okay. be shown. So, but huge boxing culture actually. Yeah. Uh, in Mexico, combat sports as well. Right? Combat like, sports exactly, yeah. which which leads us to perhaps the the cooler part of this, which is yeah. lucha libre. Love this. This is like when we talk about uniqueness when we're doing these rankings. You cannot fault lucha libre for for lack of originality like it is so specific it is so weird and just embraced massively by the country and, and by the world right and so iconic with those masks and yeah, I, yeah. I had those masks uh, also as Absolutely. a kid for halloween and stuff you have to give a shout out to ray mysterio i think who kind of publicized it to the world i think ray mysterio for me a sheltered irish kid you know watching wwe or wwf as it was called at the time I think Rey Mysterio was my first glimpse of what the hell are we talking? What yeah, is this? Because right? he took that lucha libre mm. culture and brought it to WWE, exactly. brought it to with huge success worldwide, right? Yeah. yeah, and became a lot of people's favorite like straight away. His acrobatics is like he's, this guy was amazing, right? Six one nine was that, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. which I think is a San Diego area code where where he's from. Exactly, so, yeah. and we can't give a shout out to him too much because apparently he's American, Mexican, or Mexican American, yeah, right? yeah, so, but. Yeah, but still proud of his roots, right? Yeah, yeah, but still, yeah. the the lucha libre That's was Mexican. part of that journey, and uh, exactly, who can forget the great Jack Black Nacho Libre? Yes, a kind of an underrated movie, and maybe fell uh, a little bit flat. This was his follow up after the unbelievable School of Rock, absolutely, like, which is an all timer classic, and I won't hear a word against yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah, so on uh, with direct comparisons of that, it was very hard for Nacho Libre, I think, to do well. But I still think it's a great celebration of uh, of lucha libre. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then uh, just a quick honorable mention while we're here to Lorena Ochoa, their best ever female golfer. Mm -hmm. So one of the only non-American female golfers to routinely win LPGA events. Gotta respect that. Gotta Gotta respect respect that. that. And then uh, a friend of yours. Oh, you got it. You cannot talk about Mexican sports without Checo Perez. What a man, especially this year. Like having to fight against... Not only a fantastic teammate, arguably one of the greatest drivers of all time in Max Verstappen, mm. and holding his own in taking pole position uh, this weekend just now, yeah. in uh, winning a couple of races this year so far. I think he's like six points behind Max or something like that, or maybe ten points behind Very Max. Close, yeah. yeah, so absolutely putting Mexico on the on the map for driving. Yeah, is probably one of the most successful Mexican driver of all time, except for maybe his dad. Or yeah, yeah, but I think few, now he is. Yeah. yeah but yeah, a phenomenal figure. Love the guy as well. I I wanted to really, you know, be his like number one fan. His performance is just not that great. I think over the past few years, since he's been a rebel, he's had ups and downs and like mm. a few little slip ups, which are not amazing. But in any case, I think he's he's doing wonders for Mexico and uh, recruiting those those fans to the sport as well, which is fantastic. Great teammate, upstanding professional, and let's not forget the before Red Bull when he was at the various, you know, Force India Racing Point team that changed its name 30 times. Mm -hmm. He still outperformed his car, he outperformed his teammates, and he showed up every week without making any drama, any fuss, uh, and that's what earned him that callback to Red yeah. Bull because let's not forget he was part of that Red Bull Junior program way exactly. back in the day, right? I think it was a masterstroke for Christian Horner to look at who he was going to get mm. having so many options. I mean, any driver would have jumped at it, right? And he doesn't go for the next world champion. He doesn't go for anything no. like that. He goes for who's going to put in the hours, who's going to be consistent, who's going to show up, play the team game, do what's needed. And, and, and that's the key, right? He yeah. went for the guy that he knew the ego wasn't going to be bigger than exactly. the car. exactly. And that's what wins them the championships last year as a constructor. And this year, again, most sure. likely, yeah, yeah. 
because there isn't that drama. Everyone knows where they stand. And yeah. again, great teammate, upstanding profession. And it's where your boys, I must say, the Ferrari have gone so badly wrong over the years, among many other ways, where yeah. they've been like, yeah, we have no number one driver, you know, Charles and Carlos are free to fight, we'll, we'll prioritize both. It's like, okay, come on. No strategy, Yeah. no tactics on top of it, no, and no, total no. incompetence. I'm getting angry just thinking <laughs> yeah, about let's it. Let's move on, listeners. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, just because you love it so much, I wanted to throw this in there, that baseball is mm. also quite big mm. in Mexico. It's a very highly ranked league. It's a, it's a well-followed sport, of course, bordering with the US. Um, I love baseball. Neil, not so much. Do but not love baseball. Every chance I get. Baseball. Every chance. Uh, it feels like every country we do, it's like, <laughs> oh, also we're really big on baseball. Like, if I, I can't avoid this topic. Like, can we have one country, please, where we don't talk about baseball? I know we didn't talk about baseball for Sweden, but still, not a fan of baseball. We got to find those Swedish baseball players and get them they're on the out there. For sure they're out there. They've got to be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's quite a roundup on on Mexican sports. Yeah. Uh, a lot of energy for that uh, compared to their film and TV. Mm. And where are you thinking of scoring them? Yeah, well, I can't give it a three because I just gave film a three for some quite uh, right. it's quite negative things. I think actually you can go on a four here, and it's heavily heavily swayed for me by just how unique and interesting Lucha Libre is. Actually, you love that Lucha Libre. It, I just yeah. think I, I'm such a fan of when a country is just all in on the weirdness, you know? It's like, we got to have the big colorful masks. We just have to. And yeah. if, if you were to take them away, because it's like, well, you know, don't we want to focus on the wrestling? No, absolutely not. Like, you know, they, they care about the, the aesthetic of it and how quirky and weird it is. Yeah. So I have to appreciate that. I think it's a, an amazing institution. So I think, yeah, let's, let's put me on a four there. I'm also going to go a four. We gave Japan a four. Um, yeah. And some of there's a lot of parallels, for example, the Lucha Libre with the sumo mm -hmm, wrestling and mm -hmm. the uniqueness, but at the same time, how iconic that is in terms of pop culture, right? Where, no, I don't turn on the TV and watch Lucha Libre, mm -hmm. but I know so much about what that is, right? Yeah. So definitely, I'm going to match your four, and that is a four yeah. for sport in I think Mexico. that's good. I think that's good. Yes, so now we've done sport, and I would say... Why don't we touch on music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's check in. So our current world champion in music with a perfect five out of five, the ultimate reference point at the moment is Sweden. 100%. I don't think Mexico will be challenging the top spot today for music. Sorry, sorry to say. Sorry for the spoilers. Probably not. But, you know, we can start with the folksy vibes, starting with mariachi, which is one of the few types of music that you never need to know who sings it, who's playing it, whatever, mm -hmm. it will put a smile on your face. Instantly recognizable. Vibes from the word go. Yeah. These are like, it is insanely a cultural touchstone for so many people in the world. I'd, I would be super interested to know what percentage of the world can you put on this music? Like something like that. And how quickly can they go, oh, Mexico, you know? Just, I, I would really say it's like a, decent percent like half the world yeah, it's probably. synonymous almost i would say exactly yeah. exactly and i think when you say mexico and music in the same sentence everybody's brain is going straight that to picture right da -da 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 -da. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah. the guy's playing in a, in a with, standing up with an acoustic guitar and you know the whole Absolutely. the works you know and Love an it. accordion in the background whatever you want exactly yeah. exactly now in particular what still gives me goosebumps to go back and watch is <laughs> and sorry to keep bringing it back to Formula One, is when the, the Formula One was in Mexico last year, some absolute genius on the internet made a mariachi version of the <laughs> Formula One song. And it, it went super viral in the days leading up to the Grand Prix. And then Formula One actually played it after the race over it's the loudspeakers. Brilliant. And it's 
it's for anyone who hasn't seen it and who knows what the formula one theme is go look it up it's an absolute banger but in any case what a touchstone for the world for world music and okay none of us can name let's say these uh these artists right who are behind no. mariachi but we all can we all can recognize it instantly it's a part of the cultural fabric and also if you're in the u.s at any mexican or tex-mex restaurant and it's your birthday oh, it's there you're they'll come around the, you're getting a happy you're birthday the, yeah big time and then rock neil so two points i wanted to touch on here one i don't know if you're familiar with them but they are the highest grossing latin american band of all time mana sadly not sadly no. not but over yeah. 40 million records that's huge that's quite big, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And this reminds me a bit of our Japan discussion where probably a lot of those records were sold in Mexico, right? Yeah. But well, still... in, in the Spanish-speaking world, let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Right. Which is big. Yeah. 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 So, but then what Rolling Stone ranked as the 20th greatest guitarist of all time, which I don't think was too generous. I think you could even go higher, at mm. least for mm. my generation and your generation, Absolutely. higher. And that is Carlos Santana. 100%. I think uh, he's a great example of what, if you want to get into the discussion of what is a good guitarist, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting one to go down. Him and people like B.B. King, for example, where the temptation when you talk about guitarists is to be like, who's the quickest, most technical, who can right. do the craziest rip-roaring solos, right? And Santana, I think, or Carlos Santana is not about that so much. If you listen to the big classics like Black Magic Woman or one of those, mm-hmm. right, the solos in there are actually very meditative or kind of thoughtful yeah you're it's trance right yeah yeah and there's loads of room right that especially listen to the opening guitar of black magic woman there's you could learn as a beginner guitarist you could learn that in like a week probably Mm -hmm. less even Mm -hmm. it's actually extremely simple but it's beautiful and it's like full of emotion full of actual feeling and that's really i think the sign of a great guitarist is if they can somehow convey beyond just wow look at how fast he's able to do that or look at the you know cool chords and stuff it's like can you actually convey real emotion through what you're playing and improvise it and make it sound legitimate and authentic and unique so i think on that basis i i agree as well that he's probably one of the greatest not not to say that i know his back catalog inside out but i'm just so impressed with what i have heard have to uh, have to give it to him and and his endless collaborations with the biggest artists of the day for now the past 40 years everyone wants to work with carlos santana right Absolutely. and he's got his niche he perfects that and he also adapts it to to whoever he's working with so yeah i mean for me personally because to be honest nowadays now you were in the industry the music industry but for someone like me that's not <laughs> yeah how many guitarists can i name mm. you know because we're mm. not in the keith richards etc days anymore no but, that's true so if you ask me name a guitarist who is still active in 2023 yeah. i would say carlos santana yeah, he'd be probably your first one right first one like absolutely yeah, yeah. and i mean his his influence is like we talked about with sweden where we have these producers who you might not know but you've definitely heard yeah he also has a little bit of that i think he has a, a back catalog and i'm just even just talking about his collabs right mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. been working with the likes of from one end of the scale, Herbie Hancock, Bob Dylan. And then you can take that in the total other direction. He's talking to Lauren Hill, Michael Jackson, Dave Matthews Band. He has worked on Dora the Explorer. Explorer That's legendary. Right? So like, he and he's just like firing on all cylinders. He's worked with Shakira. He's worked with such amazing artists, right? That And such, such a broad spectrum of artists. It's like guaranteed that everyone who's listening to this has heard him, you know? Yeah. So I think you got to give something for that. That's, that's pretty huge. When it comes to guitarists, he's the legend uh, at the moment. 
Only other thing I have here is Luis Miguel, hmm. singer of love pop ballads throughout the, the 80s and 90s. Hmm. Um, but uh, you're not familiar with Lost Me There. No. It's one of those names that yeah. probably if I heard a song, I'd be like, oh yeah, that guy, but no. I'm not, uh, not there, yeah. sadly. So that's Mexican music for you. In a nutshell, let's also give a shout out to Cumbia. Yeah, big rival of, of of salsa in terms of that uh-huh, that uh-huh. that Latin dance music, and here you know what are we scoring? It's actually a tricky one this one because Sweden got itself a five, right through ABBA plus a bunch of producers like it was some, and, and then and the whole house and techno scene yeah, on top yeah. of it. And we're not this isn't a five I think. No, however, Santana is huge, Carlos Santana, mm. and you do have mariachi, which is just iconic in terms of the uniqueness mariachi yeah yeah like there's you'd be hard pushed to find another genre you know that's so representative and so intrinsically linked to a country so actually i'm i'm i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm also leaning towards a four you're leaning towards a four which is yeah. highly influential on a global oh, scale okay no no, yeah, no I, I didn't mean mm, to laugh no I'm no, just, no. Wow. Your, your your questioning is fair i just i feel like three almost feels like an injustice to the country that mm. gave us mariachi music, you know? And Carlos Santana. And Carlos Santana. Oh, okay, well, let's see what you go, and then I'll, I'll lock in okay, my... Okay, well, so I was more... It would be an injustice to give a two, oh, okay. which is significant in terms of uniqueness or success. <laughs> or success. I'm going to give yeah. a three because somewhat significant in terms of uniqueness with the mariachi, and then success, it is... It is Carlos Santana stealing mm. for home plate to use a baseball okay. analogy, which you yeah. love. I'm yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. with a three, but I think it's what, close. I think to look back at our definition, right? It's like uniqueness and success and uniqueness, big tick in the box with Mariachi success, mm-hmm. big tick in the box with Carlos Santana. But then what? You yeah. know, do you yeah. have, do you have example number two and three and four and five? And that's where I get a bit lost maybe. Yeah. So I actually think I need to retract my four and join you on the three. Okay, that's threes all around on music for Mexico. Yeah. And now, Neil, we have a few more categories to choose from. Hmm. We have literature, we have cuisine, and then last, we'll have the wild card. Wild so card. do you want literature or cuisine? Yeah. Let's, let's bang out literature because I feel like we this will be a flying visit. Yeah, so literature, not much. Even for me, which you know this is one of my favorite categories to, hmm. to dive into as we did for, for Sweden and Japan as well. Uh, Octavio Paz... He won the 1990 Nobel Prize for poetry. Uh, I know you're a big fan of those poems. You read them to uh, every to day. Euro, every day. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, gotta be honest here, listeners. So this is a swing and a miss for me in terms of my engagement with the topic. I sometimes, when I know what's coming up on the podcast, I can sometimes do a deep dive in short, uh, short order and just get get up to speed on something, as I often have done. This was not one of those times. I am fully uninitiated. Mexican literature. I have have nothing to say here. And then we have Carlos Fuentes. He was part of that Latin American boom and, you know, uh, magical realism, etc. in the 60s Uh and 70s, but still not the household name that Gabriel Garcia Marquez from from Colombia would be, for example, with 100 years of solitude and Mm. love Mm. in a time of cholera. So it's very difficult to give this anything more than a one which is little significance in terms of uniqueness and success and remember listeners we are talking about global impact here do not come for us i can imagine any mexican listener boiling now all the mexican librarians just absolutely boiling over with rage i fully understand you and i apologize if that has been our impact and can only echo your point nicola which is like 
we are two ignorant uh, Westerners. We do not know what we're saying. We're just talking about what we understand. <laughs> we only are just saying what we understand about this topic, which is, in my case, zero. So it's a one though, right? It's a, it's a solid score. one. Yeah. I would go zero if I could, but we don't have a scale for that. One's all around on literature. And from our name categories, it seems we've saved the best oh, for last. We absolutely have. My only regret is that we will go over time unless I keep this uh, short and sweet. We've got to. I mean, respect to the Mexican cuisine, oh. which easily one of the top, in my opinion, one of the top five cuisines in the world, probably one of the top three, I'll go out on a limb and say, together with the mm. Japanese and Italian. Whoa. Um, UNESCO has even recognized Mexican cuisine as a of intangible cultural heritage. It is a protected cuisine by the United Nations, Neil. Just absolute banger cuisine. Like, see, and I don't use that phrase lightly. It is something else. I probably, I would have to put Italy first, but I think it's my number two, like on the global scale. Yeah. It is special. Chili, mice, Tacos, tostadas, gorditas, enchiladas, guacamole, tamales. We can go on for days. Oh my God. It's just all incredible. My biggest regret is that I actually haven't gotten there gotten there to try it myself. You've got to. It's it's, it's an experience. Yeah. yeah it's on my list. I, I will get there. It's just such a it's such a trek, like from here. Yeah, you know, to, to get there's no direct flights, you need to do the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's gonna we're gonna get there. It's just a question of when, not if. But my God, even if it's anything like what I've had, you know, here and elsewhere, Mexican food, just sign me up. It's it's unbelievable, and there's so much you can do with it, so much versatility. Even just think of how many different variations of, of tacos you can have. You yeah. can with fish tacos or, or whatever, right? And amazing, like what it's done with the avocado in terms of creating guacamole, it's arguably sweet. the best dip of all time. And if you don't like that, well, then there's also salsa. Yeah. You, you will always, I think anybody would find something they love actually in Mexican food. Yeah. I was first introduced to it myself actually in around, I'm going to say the 05, 6, 07 kind of okay. time when uh, Ireland is, is a, a country of crazes and fads, as particularly among the teenagers, right? And it went from zero to a hundred in terms of burrito restaurants. So not tacos, actually. Just burrito. I don't think tacos ever really got huge in Ireland, actually, mm -hmm. but burritos got absolutely enormous it became the most competitive eatery scene in dublin yeah. there was ones popping up on every corner only the strong survived we were comparing what were the prices what you could get was guacamole extra could uh -huh. you get you know chili was the cheese in there were the beans good all these things it was massive so that was my introduction and i fell in love with burritos at that time still love a good burrito a little bit heavy maybe maybe i maybe i'm dialing it down a little bit now and then it was only, you know, over the years that followed that I got to try all the different things we just mentioned. Tacos, which are now massively popular still, I think, in uh, in Copenhagen as well as elsewhere. Yeah. You, can, you can get some pretty premium tacos, but uh, just love it. Like, it's it gets me, this food. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of my go-to. You know, if you have to order in on a Friday or Saturday night, solid. I'm all about getting the burrito or the tacos or... Mexican right. is really, honestly, a top three at least. It, so solid. Yeah. it could contend. Mm. Well, could I, I alienate our, our Italian no, community? No, 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 I can't do. Not in terms of pop no, culture. And sorry, stuff, Italy no. has to. You, it's, I know. I, I know this isn't the Italy episode, but come on, like pasta pizza, just already. Yeah, you're yeah. done. You're done there. But yeah, I mean Mexican food. Yeah, burritos great as well. Th there is a point here also of like kiss, right? Keep it simple, scholar or stupid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, of don't overdo it with with Mexican food. Just yeah, 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 yeah. 
if you look at the, I was watching a, doc- a documentary on Netflix called Taco Chronicles, mm-hmm. where they go one taco by, at a time. So it's just carnitas or it's just, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even yeah. remember all the different types, right? Where it spends a whole episode just on that type and it goes through different makers uh, or different specialists in that one taco recipe. My stomach is, oh, is mumbling You right gotta now. watch it. Oh. It's, it's like mouth-watering stuff. But what you see there is that actually it really just comes down to the meat, the marinade for that meat, and then a little bit of something on top. That's all they actually want. And then, then you'll see that, and that's it. We, I think here in Europe, are a lot better at just going nuts with it and like overcomplicating it. Exactly. And like putting so much extra on it. I actually had a bit of a bad experience in a restaurant called Sanchez in Copenhagen, oh, yeah. which is a re- it's Mexican, right? But it's like fancy Mexican, yeah. where we got through the whole meal with no meat, which I'm okay with. I'm not against that. It, and it, there was some fish stuff, but like it had no right to be as pretentious as it was. And I would have loved, it had one of the meals just been a big fat burrito, you know? I would have, that would have made me way happier, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In terms of just getting all your vitamins and enjoying, and it is to an extent a comfort food, and I and I mean oh. that in, in, the, in the nicest way possible, but it's okay for it to be that. Right? I'm actually, I'm this close to ordering some, actually, as soon as we finish. <laughs> yeah. And while we're on, on cuisine, uh, what about tequila? <laughs> yeah, because we, we haven't had this before in the other country discussions, but food, I think, should also include drink, right? Yeah. We forgot to mention sake for Japan, but yeah. they were a five anyways. That was a solid it, so. five. Yeah. And actually, I'm not the biggest sake fan ever. But no. Um, and even with Sweden, you know, we could have gone into uh, some some of their lovely beverages. But well, they uh, would have lost points for those. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, in, in terms of Mexico, I think tequila is a global phenomenon, actually. I think it's it's worth remembering that there's not many drinks that have a ritual of salt and biting a citrus fruit mm. in the club, right? And pretty much, it seems universal that like- In the club. In the club. Like, in a, how, many, <laughs> how many countries have a drink that has this whole ritual attached to it, really? Like, it is so yeah. unique. I don't know how authentic it really is or whatever, but we all do it, right? Uh, I think it's, it's quite cool in a way. Now, I've been the victim of tequila many times, of course, and it is dangerous. It's so nice and uh, enjoyable, and you can actually get really into it. it. There are fans of tequila in the same way there are fans of whiskey. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. You can get very into it. I think I haven't myself, but it can be a, a connoisseur's uh, beverage as well. But that's huge. The the um, the contribution I think there shouldn't be understated. The impact is massive, even for someone like me that doesn't drink much. Mm. If I had to choose a shot of any liqueur, yeah. It would be tequila, yeah. 10 times out of 10, actually. I And I also, because of what you said, I genuinely enjoy that ritual. It is something special as opposed to, you know, just taking vodka. Now, of course, mm. those listeners will come for us from the vodka-loving countries, but it's tequila all the way for me. I think so. Bit of flavoring, bit of uh, herbal uh, ar- aromatics to it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's the clear liquor for me, I can say that much. And before we round it off, are you a taco man or a burrito man? See, I've evolved. I was, you, you heard in my teenage years, yeah. I was a burrito guy. I think done at their best. Let's compare both at their best. I think tacos win. They're just so perfect. Bite-sized morsels. Three bites and you're done. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And fish tacos yeah. with like some really fresh shrimps yeah. and stuff. Oh, like, oh. can you beat that? Shrimp? Oh my God. I think shrimp is just goat level fish. I think it's probably the best fish. But yeah, or seafood, I suppose. But in any case, yeah, I think a taco has to win, right? Like, But tacos can also be horrifically bad. Mm. I've had some really bad ones here, actually. Even in good restaurants where I would normally have a good experience, sometimes you just get a dud and it's like, okay, yeah. this, this is a bit dry. You know, this pork, is, this pork hasn't been fully, you know, marinated to the right extent or whatever. So it can happen. 
and burritos i think are consistently good like you'll never go below a six on a burrito i think absolutely even a bad burrito you're gonna like i think but then a good burrito also can be phenomenal yeah i uh there's one place in dublin called boojum which uh, mm. i was a religious fan of for many years and probably anyone in dublin uh, goes there regularly still Whoever who likes burritos, it's one of the best places to get them. But in any case, one for our uh, when we go on the road and we we hit Dublin, we can uh, try a bujum. Absolutely. And in the meantime, I think it goes without saying that it's fives all around. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. If that. we could give it a six, yeah, I would be all over it with a six. This is a strong five for me. Not that we'd rate them too strongly or, or weekly per number, but like this is a an easy five. Absolutely. So. We're coming down to our wild card. Our wild card is our special category where we throw out any other sort of pop culture references which didn't fit into the other categories that Mm. could boost the country's score. At the moment, just an overview of where we stand. We are currently, Neil, at 15.5 out of a possible 25. So with this wild card... uh, it can't beat Japan, which is at a 22.5. Okay. But it could overcome Sweden, which is at a 19.5. Oh, man. So it's down to the wire. The pressure is on, yeah. Now, for the wild card. Where to start but festivals and parties? Exactly. I think this is the best, this is the great thing about our system, is that the wild card aspect allows us to capture things that you have to cover but just unfortunately haven't fallen in to any other part of the discussion and come on like when you think of mexico where does your mind go first but the festivals yeah the the buntings that get hung up the masks the face paint like the parades all of it it's it's a fest it's a party country yeah yeah absolutely dia de los muertos day of the dead right iconic unique it's even been featured as we mentioned in james bond spectre exactly right? exactly among and, uh, coco as well the the disney movie got a big shout it's basically based around the day of the dead uh, absolutely aesthetic, yeah. and in my spanish class in in middle school actually that was like a huge um, eye-opener uh, about the mexican culture when mm. around those uh, days of the first second of november we would cover dia de los muertos and and see yeah. okay and the way they pitch it to it is like, oh, this is how they do kind of Halloween, but they did it first and they did it better and they kind of continue to. Yeah, And exactly. it's very serious and there's so much ritual around it and Absolutely. so much intricacy and everything that's going out. It's it's truly amazing. This, again, when we come to the word uniqueness, right? Like we talked with the Lucha Libre, this is an example of something that is so clearly defined, so fiercely independently itself where it's like, this is how we do it. We do the little flower thing around the eyes. We do the face paint and that's it. Like we're not changing it. We're not going to adapt it to anything else. It's so like richly historic and so itself that I just have to give it a huge shout out. I think it's such a cool aesthetic that they own. It's brilliant. And then of course, because you can't go a whole year without a festival or a party, they really commemorate Cinco de Mayo as they did a few days ago. Even here, I was in Copenhagen uh, with my wife. We were going out to get a coffee on the 5th of May, which happens to also be a holiday in denmark which is being taken away for different reasons Uh, and there were mexican flags kind of all around uh, over there in our neighborhood and there was a big barbecue and big grill uh, of course to commemorate them beating the french way back in in 1862 Uh, always worth celebrating yeah, yeah but cinco de mayo is also something iconic for me when i was at school in the u.s it was still something again like something it really that we traveled. learned about and it really traveled and yeah, yeah. it's almost a weird one because 
like they have an Independence Day. Like yeah, the, a, and it's not that right? exactly yeah. September sixteenth. Portsmouth, shout out for my birthday. But uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. which we forget very about every special year. day. Very special day. But um, no, I, I'm just surprised at how big Cinco de Mayo has become. Given it's like a celebration of something quite like, in, it's, sure, it's significant, but it's not like formative in Mexican history. Yes, okay, it was it was an important battle that they won, uh, but against uh, the French, who yeah. never seemed to really win. Many exactly. I think maybe that's why I traveled so much is that other countries were like, oh, oh, we're definitely celebrating that. Like the US <laughs> French jumps defeat. on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jump on that. Yeah. But yeah, I love it. Like, and of course, we've all heard of Cinco de Mayo. As, a, as an Irish person who has never lived in that part of the world, I haven't really experienced it at all. But I've still, there you go. I've heard of it. Yeah, so, a, that's, I mean, that's saying something. Huge no? pop culture credentials. And yeah. then they also do carnival almost to the level of the Brazilians. Exactly, yeah. And I, I was introduced to carnival when I lived in Portugal. And I think basically any Latinx slash Hispanic country has a version of it. it. It originates in Spain, right? But when I was researching this, I also found that it's popular to different extents in these countries. Mm-hmm. And actually Mexico is probably one of the biggest celebrants of it. So even though they haven't originated it, they are huge, huge fans of carnival. So doing the whole routine costumes dressing up a bit like halloween but it's more in like the april time of year uh massive yeah and there we go um any other shout outs for this wild card for mexico well not in this topic of of like festivals and celebrations because i think that's they've got that on lock right yeah. they've, they've got that locked down the only other notes i had is like let's make sure we give a shout out to frida Kahlo. we've got point. to so like huge and still omnipresent you can see she features actually a lot in art exhibitions here in denmark actually yeah in yeah, louisiana it, you'll see stuff uh, from she'll frida be Kahlo. on t-shirts like yeah. still an, an icon a bit like People getting her tattooed, like they yeah, get yeah, yeah. Che Guevara tattooed under biceps and 100%. stuff. It's really, yeah. Uh... Yeah, so like massive figure, one of the yeah. most famous political figures or m- most famous figures, full stop, right? Yeah, absolutely. So massive shout out to Frida. And I guess we, we covered, thankfully, the Mayans and the Aztec civilizations, but that was also something that I wanted to make sure we dropped in because it's like one of their biggest collaboration, one of their biggest uh, contributions, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even more advanced than the the Romans, the Greeks, and the Egyptians probably combined mm. without actually having any contact with that part of the world. Like, think of how impressive that That's is. insane. And it's a testament to human nature in, in a sense that, like, it wasn't a fluke, right? We, we are creatures who are destined to develop and grow and have things like architecture and design and science and maths and stuff like that. So I think it's really nice. And it, Well said. Yeah, I think it's a... A great evidence of the power of humanity. That's wow. uh, inspiring stuff. Just bringing Tearing a tear to my eye. Yeah, yeah. So on that wild card, we've modeled it a bit because we've added a bunch of things. It's a bit of a mixed bag, but mm. I think let's be strict though. I think for the wild card to work as a as a system going forward, it has to be limited to like a topic, right? Exactly. So let's treat this, I think, as festivals, parties, that kind of thing. Okay. Let's and do it. Ditch the other stuff we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. And where do you score it on that? So on festivals slash parties, etc. Actually, actually, it's pretty high. Yes, because I'm the first thing that comes to mind is like, what other countries do you have on this one? And you have like carnival in in Brazil. You have like mm-hmm. a few examples. You but do so, actually. It's yeah. quite good. I'm actually going to lean on a four for this one. Or is highly influential on a global scale. I think the reason I will match your four is because although they didn't necessarily invent all of these, they've kind of done them better and done Mm. them so well to a point where they are iconic and in the zeitgeist, even for somebody in Ireland that has never been to Mexico or speak Spanish. Like that's the proof is in the pudding. Exactly, exactly. And all 
all that is is like i consume say american film and it's all over there you know mm-hmm. like you you kind of can't avoid it i just think it's uh, that says a lot right now if i was to think is it quite like ireland st patrick's day levels globally right maybe not there's probably a little bit less celebration of mm-hmm. cinco de mayo on a global scale so i could give it a five let's say for that reason but still amazing yeah absolutely so let's sum everything up here listeners Mexico scored a 3 for music, a 2.5 for film and TV, a 1 on literature, to be rebounded by a 5 on cuisine, arguably one of the best cuisines in the world, a 4 on sport, and a very strong 4 on the wildcard category of festivals and parties. This takes, Neil, Mexico to a grand total of 19.5 equal to sweden for second place in the running order after japan wow joint second we've done it already after only three countries we have a tie that's all it took that's all it took so of course sweden with only 10 million and Mm. some change inhabitants will come up higher in the per capita index but who's to say that these will be scores to beat these 19.5s and 22.5 for japan phenomenal stuff any parting shots for our listeners before we get out of here neil thanks for joining us listener this has been a fun little tour of mexico especially for the uninitiated mexican like myself uh interested to know if we missed anything got anything wrong left anything out so of course shout us out on the old twitter on the gmail on on every possible avenue we'd love to hear from you until next time listeners